Amen, amen. You may have a seat. Welcome everyone to the Grove City Vineyard. My name is Christian Root. I'm the associate pastor here. It is so good to be with you all today. And let me begin. We're, in the, we're currently in the middle of a, a series that we've called Letters to the Churches. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you might remember that when the Apostle John was exiled on the island of Patmos, he was visited by Jesus himself. And Jesus told John to sit down and write out seven different letters to seven different churches. And today we're we're going to be looking at the harshest of Jesus' seven letters, the letter to the church in Thyatira. Now, despite the fact that that this is Jesus' harshest letter, Jesus also extends some pretty amazing gifts to this church as well. And so without skirting around some of the more unsettling issues or more unsettling aspects of this letter, I want us to look at this letter and I want us to look at three different gifts that were given to the church in Thyatira. For the gifts that Jesus offers the church in Thyatira, they are not exclusive to this particular church, but are instead gifts that God longs to give to all of his people. But before we look at these Specific gifts, I would love to pray. And so would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. That even when we, when we approach a text that is, is a bit more unsettling or, or might even a, a offend our, our sensibilities at first blush, we, we still recognize this is the very word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit and instructive for your people today. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me afresh and put power on my words, put authority on my words. Would you help me to teach this text correctly and in a way that glorifies you? And I pray, Father, that even now you would open up hearts, God, that you might give us eyes to see and ears to hear the message that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's jump right in. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. This is what we read. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold on to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you, except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. 
As I said at the onset, this is not an easy letter to read, but it's full of of gifts from Jesus nonetheless. And so what is the first gift that we find in this letter? Well, here's my first point. Number one, Jesus gives his followers the gift of knowing that their good deeds will never go unnoticed. Gives us the gift of knowing that our good deeds will never go unnoticed. Let's read verses 18 and 19 again. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. When Jesus describes his eyes as blazing fire, he's highlighting the fact that nothing escapes his gaze. He sees everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. And this fact is driven home in verse 19. He says, I know your deeds. And so even if they're unseen by everyone else, even if they're underappreciated by everyone else, even if they're done in secret, I I see every single sacrifice that you make. And, And what this means is that every single act of love for another is now given a new sense of meaning. It's now given a new sense of purpose and is now actually an act of worship. Because we know, we know rather that Jesus sees our action and is blessed by them. He's blessed by them. Recently, I was listening to a sermon by a pastor that I just really respect. I listen to him all the time. He's been a tremendous encouragement to me. And he opened his, he opened his sermon with an illustration about the New York Times obituary department. Not typically where I go when I'm starting a sermon, but, you know, he's more gifted than I am. This pastor shared that when a person of note dies, that there's a a team of journalists who have to determine if this deceased person is worthy of receiving an obituary in the New York Times. And and if so, this team of journalists, they actually have to decide how how much space they're going to give to this person's obit. If, if someone rose to the top of their field, maybe made great contributions to their particular field, maybe, maybe they'll get a couple of lines in the New York Times, in the obituary section. But if, if someone is, has, has gained even more fame, more acclaim, made an even bigger impact on the world, they, they might get up to a paragraph. They might get a couple of paragraphs. But every once in a while, someone comes along who's lived a life of such consequence or such, such influence, either for good or for ill, they've, they've really made a mark upon this world, that that person would receive half a page or even a full page spread for their obituary. And, and so the pastor, he ended this, this illustration by saying, let us be people who live lives of such significance, of such influence, of such consequence, that upon our death, the New York Times would want to give us a full-page spread in their obituary section. And, and, you know, this kind of sentiment preaches really, really well. I mean, it's easy to get people really fired up preaching a, a sermon like this. I, I myself, as I listened in my car, I was fired up. I'm like, yeah, I want, to be on the, I want to be on the front page of the New York Times obituary section when I die. That's, that's what I want. But here, here's what Revelation 2 teaches us, guys. Revelation 2 teaches us that attempting to impress the obituary journalists of the New York Times is actually setting our sights far too low. For it is possible to live a life that is never recognized by a major media outlet, and yet live a life that is absolutely celebrated in heaven. Do you know this? All over the world this day, followers of Jesus are dying. 
all over the world. There, there, there are men and women that, whose names we'll never know who are dying. They're dying in sub-Saharan Africa. They're dying in Brazil. They're dying in the U.S. They're dying in northern India. They're dying in mainland Europe. We're never going to know their names. And you, you better believe that no one is submitting their names to the New York Times obituary section. But despite their anonymity, these followers of Jesus who are dying today are being greeted by Jesus himself, who has seen their good deeds done in secret, who has seen every single sacrifice that they've made, who has seen their faith, who has seen their, their trusting faith, even when life was hard and even when life was really, really hard. Friend, every single sacrifice in your life, I, I hope you know this, Every time you give generously to a friend in need, just needs, needs some extra help. They're just struggling to get by. Every time you clean up chairs after our second service, if you've ever hung around and just cleaned up chairs to get ready for the high schoolers. Every time you awkwardly share your faith with a coworker. Every time you provide care for an aging parent. Every time you get out of bed to attend to a crying child so that your spouse can stay asleep. Every time you make a sacrifice, your Father in Heaven sees it, and Jesus sees it. He sees everything. And because we recognize that nothing falls out of Jesus' line of sight, His watching eye gives us a new motivation to serve, doesn't it? He gives us a new motivation to serve because all of it now is for Him. All of it now is for Him. It's for Him. It's for Him. It's worship. It's worship. Let's continue on by looking at verses 20 through 23. This is what we read. And just as an aside, I think for some of us, if, if the letter just ended there, we would be okay. Be okay with things. But he, he continues on. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I have this against you. Remember, he's writing to a specific group of people in a specific place in a specific time. And he looks at their church and he says, by you tolerate, let me back up a little bit, nevertheless I have this against you, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. This is a hard passage to read. And as I said earlier, for, for many of us, it, it probably offends our sensibilities. Most of us prefer Jesus riding on a donkey or Jesus offering insightful parables. We don't much like this Jesus who says, I will strike her children dead. So it's an important question to ask here. Why does Jesus use such aggressive language? Why does he use such aggressive language here? Well, here, here's why, guys. When we value something, when we deeply value something, when we find something beautiful, when we delight in something, we do everything that we can to protect it, don't we? I remember one of the first times I was at, at a playground with my son, Sam. He was 
a little over one at the time, was just starting to walk. And, and uh, we went to this playground, and, and this hardened, corrupt three-year-old came over to my precious little boy, took him by the, the, the hood of his sweatshirt, and just kind of, you know, yanked him down. And I would like to say that I handled that situation in my head really well, but I did not. Because my, my first reaction when I saw this hardened, corrupt three-year-old <laughs> pull down my son is I thought, okay, I, I didn't know when I came to the park I was going to be fighting a three-year-old, but I guess <laughs> this is going to happen. That me and this three-year-old are about to have a problem. <laughs> but thankfully, thank the Lord, took a few deep breaths, checked on my kid. I did not leave that playground in handcuffs that day. <laughs> Praise Jesus was able to calm myself and realize this is just a three-year-old and this is what, what they do. But it, it's still, I, I find it so interesting, so telling, that upon seeing another little boy take down my son, it's like my first reaction was full-on protective mode. Because this is what we do, isn't it? This is what we do. When we delight in something, when we find something beautiful, we protect it. We deeply value something. We protect it. And Jesus, who sees everything, you'll remember, he's got eyes of blazing fire. He sees this false prophet tearing apart the church. He knows that she's enticing members of the church to to practice sexual immorality and to to engage in, in idolatry, to eat food that was sacrificed to idols, that is, to engage in pagan worship. He sees all of this, and so he calls her Jezebel. Now, now, scholars are unanimous. This was not this woman's actual name. But he's referring to, to the woman we find in 1 Kings, Jezebel, who, who married King Ahab and enticed the northern Israelite kingdom into, into pagan worship. And she enticed this Jezebel we find in 1 Kings. She enticed the, the people of God into, into sexual immorality. And so... So Jesus, he, he calls this, this false prophet in the church of Thyatira, he calls her Jezebel. And Jesus looks and he sees everything and he sees the way that, that this woman is leading the church astray and he sees what is at stake. He understood that if this false prophet who f- refused to repent was not expelled from the church, and if those following her did not repent, did not turn from their idolatry, did not turn from their sexual immorality, that this church it was going to fall completely off the rails. They were going to lose their faith in the process. And ultimately, they were going to lose the ability to share the love of Jesus with the people around them. They were going to lose their witness. And the church in Thyatira would be no more. When you value something, when you, when you deeply value something, you do everything that you can to protect it. And just as an aside, church history tells us that this, unfortunately, is exactly what happened. That around the year 200 A.D., another prophet, another false prophet, arose called Montanus. And he he began to preach heresy. He began to preach a false gospel. And this church in Thyatira, church history tells us, began to to come under Montanus and his teaching. And and very, very soon after, the church in Thyatira was no more. There was no witness for Jesus in, in this area. 
So you see what is at stake here. When you value something, when you deeply value something as Jesus values the church, you're going to do everything you can to protect it. So let's move on to our, our next point. Secondly, Jesus gives his followers the gift of warnings. He gives us the gift of warnings. You know, Jesus had every right to bring judgment on this church, didn't he? They were already running off the rails. And yet, in his great mercy, what does he do? He issues a warning instead. He offered them a, a promise that if they turned from their sin, that he would forgive and receive them. Listen, do you, do you want to know what one of the most valuable instruments in your your car, your van, your truck is. It, it, often, it often gets under, overlooked. One of the most valuable instruments is your check engine light. It's actually called the, the malfunction indicator lamp. I, I didn't know that, but that's just a freebie for you if you don't know anything about cars like myself. The malfunction indicator lamp. And, and I, I say that you know, the check engine light, it's one of the most valuable instruments in your car because if that baby goes off, that light goes on in your dashboard, you know that you need to get to a garage and fast, don't you? Because if you, you just keep driving, you, you're going you're gonna to end up in a ditch. You're going to end up on the side of the road. If you ignore that little light, if you take a little sticky note and put it up on your dashboard so you can hide yourself from that, from that light that is saying, check engine, you, you're going to be fine for a few miles, Right? You, you, you might be able to drive for a few miles unnoticed, but eventually you keep ignoring that check engine light, you're going to have some problems. This letter, guys, to the church in Thyatira, it was one giant check engine light to this church. And Jesus was saying to this church, if you ignore this warning, if you ignore this letter that is coming from my very mouth, you're going to do it at, at your own peril. And I just wonder, guys, if we were to sit down with Jesus as individuals today, if he were to show up here at Grove City Vineyard, clear us all out of the room, and then one by one start calling us into the room for a little chat, I just wonder if, if for some of us, he would sit us down and say, listen, there are some things in your life that need to be addressed. There are some issues in your life that need to be addressed, or, or you're going to begin to malfunction. You're going to begin to break down. And I believe even right now, even right now, as we all sit here, I believe that right now the Lord is speaking to some of us here. That right now, the Lord is bringing a picture in your mind, a sin in your life that you've just been justifying for a long time. You've just been explaining it away or just, just pushing it down out of sight, out of mind for a long time. And I believe that for some of you right now, the Lord has just, just got it at the front of your mind. Trying to think about that first Buckeye game or whatever. You're trying to get it out of your mind, but it's just there. And you know it's there. And you've known it's been there for a while. Or for others of us, there's just an area in your life that, that you know needs to be addressed. There's an area in your life that is not getting the attention that it needs. And, and if, if the Lord is speaking to you right now, if the Lord is putting something in your mind, if he's, he's bringing something to you, you should know that this should be received as a check engine light from the Lord. This is a warning. This is a warning from the Lord. And this is what Jesus does. In his mercy, in his mercy, he comes to us and he says, look, 
This is a check engine light. I'm trying to keep you from going off the rails. And those of us who would say we have blown up our lives, and I know in a room this size, some of you would say, yes, there was a time in my life I blew up my life. You could look back and you could see the warnings along the way that you just ran right past. Those of us who would say, I blew up my marriage, or I blew up my career, or I blew up my relationship with my kids, you would say, there was warnings there. And I, I just ran past them. So receive this as his mercy. Receive it as his mercy. So per- perhaps the Lord is saying to some of us right now, listen, if you do not stop working so many hours, just taking every shift as it becomes available, because you get that time and a half, right? Get that double time. If you don't stop taking every shift, or if you don't stop working so late every night just to get a little bit ahead, just to get a little bit more ahead, Jesus is saying, you're, you're just going to isolate yourself even further from your spouse. You're just going to isolate yourself even further from your kids or from your friends. Or he might be saying to you right now, look, I, I know life is super taxing. I, I know you have a lot on your plate. But if you conti- continue to neglect your relationship with me, you continue to just put off till tomorrow reading my word, you just continue to put off till tomorrow praying to me, then, then your, your faith in me is just going to dry up. It's just going to dry up. That's just what happens. And you might, you might use a different excuse as to why your faith is as weak as it is when that happens. You might claim that it's because you're trying to reconcile these questions about God and pain and suffering and why he allows these things. And you might use those as an excuse you might use your, your own painful life circumstances as an excuse, but the real reason why your faith is going to dry up is because you've just been neglecting to spend time with me. You continue to push me away. You continue to push me away. Your faith is going to dry up. Your joy is going to be gone. Your passion for me is going to be gone. You might be saying to, to some of us, look, if you do not come clean on this lie that you've been perpetuating for months, it's going to blow up, and it's going to be really bad. And it's going, to, it's going to be a lot messier than if right now you would just come clean. Just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. And he might be saying to, to a few of us here, look, if, if you do not admit that, that you have an addiction, that there is something in your life that you have tried to free yourself from over and over and you just have not been able to do it, if you do not come to terms with the fact you are addicted and seek some help, seek some resources, your life is going to blow up. Friends, do, do you sense any check engine lights going off right now? Any warnings from Jesus in your heart? It is his mercy. It is his mercy which causes him to warn us as he does. And and of course, the the most important warning is this. If we do not repent and turn from our sin, and if we do not ask Jesus to be our Savior, receiving from him the, the forgiveness he secured for us on the cross, and if we do not commit to following him as his disciples for the remainder of our our days, the the Bible is really clear on this, that that we will not spend 
eternity with Jesus. And so if you would say right now, if I'm honest, Christian, if I'm honest, I don't know where I'm at with Jesus. I don't, I don't know if I've received his forgiveness. I don't know if I've received his Holy Spirit and that he is living inside me. I don't know if I'm, I'm living with Jesus in such a vital and intimate way that he is making a, a real difference in my life on a day-to-day basis. Then I would plead with you. I, I don't know what other word to use. I would plead with you in love, not to leave today without having that question answered. If, if there's any, any grayness in your, in your mind at all as to whether or not you have accepted Jesus and received his forgiveness, I, I would plead with you not to leave without having that question answered. I, I believe that you're here today, that this sermon, this very sermon might, might serve as, as one just giant check engine light for your life. One giant message to you from the Lord that today can be the day. Today can be the day where you say yes to Jesus, where you receive his forgiveness and enter into the life that he has for you. The, the gospel is this amazing good news, this amazing news that when we come to Jesus and we ask him to be our savior, that this glorious exchange takes place. This glorious exchange. And what happens is that when we come to Jesus and we say, I want, to be, I want you to be my Savior, that all of our sin, that is all of our betrayal, all the ways we turned our back on God, all the ways that we've, we've, we've said no to him, all of our sin is placed on Jesus. It's placed on Jesus on the cross where it is condemned by the Father, where, where it is punished and dealt with in the body of Jesus. That's what he did. He substituted himself in our place. He received the punishment that we deserved. He absorbed the wrath of God that we might be forgiven. But there's more to this glorious exchange. It is such good news. The gospel tells us that not only does our sin get placed on Jesus, but that his righteousness gets placed on us. His righteousness gets placed on us. The Bible says that it is, it is imputed or accredited to us. And Jesus' righteousness is his perfect standing before the Father. It's his perfect record, his perfect obedience. Such a glorious exchange. All of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of our junk and our duplicity is placed on Jesus. And all of his righteousness his perfect record, his perfect standing before the Father, it's, it's placed on us. So that those of us who are in Christ now have right standing before the Father. We are righteous. And if there, there isn't a little part of you right now that's saying that just that sounds too good to be true, then you haven't fully understood the gospel. It is such good news that it can only come from God. And this, this amazing gift, guys, it's available to you today. It's available. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to sign up for anything. You don't have to get a free credit card. You can get this today. Lastly, and I'm going to end here, Jesus, he gives his followers the gift of himself. This is the third gift he shows us in this letter. Let's, let's look at verses 24 through 29. 
Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. The one will rule over them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says that those who who don't give in to the lies of Jezebel but follow him to the end, they're, they're going to be given authority to rule with Jesus. And I, I wish we had some time to, to kind of unpack that, but we just don't. But he gives us authority to rule with him. And secondly, he says that he will give them the morning star. Now, what is, what is the morning star? Well, we're, we're actually given the answer later on in this very book. We're actually given the, the answer in, in Revelation Chapter 22, because this is what we read in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, 16. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. That means I'm a descendant of David, just as it was prophesied that the Messiah would come through David's line. And he says, I am the bright morning star. And so when Jesus tells the church in Thyatira, look, if you overcome, if you remain victorious, if you stay faithful to the end, he says, I, I, I'm going to give you the, the bright morning star. I'm going to give you the morning star, which is effectively him saying, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you myself. So, so let me close with this last thought. You know, when, when I married my wife, I, I, I said effectively to her that day, all that I own, All that I have is now yours. That's what you say when you're you're marrying someone. All my possessions, they're now yours. Now, at that time, I had barely any possessions. I I mean, I just graduated from grad school. I had like two bowls and like two cups, seriously. And one of them was like a McDonald's plate that I had gotten when I was like seven, and my mom sent it to me. She felt bad for me. My only piece of furniture was a couch that someone else had taken to the curb, and I had just kind of dragged it. This was before bedbugs was really a thing, so (laughs) thinking we're safe. And I had a 1994 Toyota Tercel and and probably less than $1,000 in my bank account. That, That was all that I had. And yet, on the day that I married my wife, I said, look, all that I have, it's now yours. I know. But even more importantly than that, on the day that I married my wife, I said, yes, all that I have is now yours. But also, most importantly, I I give you myself. I I give a commitment to you right now that I'm just going to be with you for the rest of our lives. It's the commitment that I made. I give you myself. And in the same way, Jesus comes to us and he says, look, when you become my follower, all that I have, I'm going to give to you. All that I have, I'm going to give to you. You want my peace? You draw close to me, you're going to get my peace. 
You want my joy? If you draw close to me, I'm going to give you joy. You want my rest? If you draw close to me, I'm going to give you my rest. You want freed from your addictions, freed from your sin? If you draw close to me, I'm going to help you through the Holy Spirit that now dwells within you to get get freedom from those habitual sins. You want my righteousness. You want my perfect record before the Father. You... You come to me, you get my my righteousness. You get my perfect record before the Father. But Jesus says, most importantly of all, when you come to me, I give you myself. When you come to me, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to be with you every day for the rest of your life. I'm going to dwell within your heart through the Holy Spirit that is within you. And upon your death, Upon your death, when you die, whether or not the New York Times publishes an obit about you or not, I'm going to be there and I'm going to greet you. And you are going to know me fully, even as you are now fully known. So, so here, here's what I want to do. I said that I didn't want any of us to leave today with, with any, any level of gray. With any doubts in their mind as to whether they have accepted Jesus. And so I'm just going to make this really simple today. If you are someone who would say today, I want to enter into relationship with Jesus. I want want to, to participate in this glorious exchange where my sins are placed on him and his righteousness is placed on me. I want to know that he is going to walk with me for the rest of my life and for all eternity. I'm just going to ask you right now to stand up. I'm not going to invite you forward. I'm not, I'm not going to make you say anything. I'm just, this is a way for you to say to Jesus, not to me, not to anyone in your row, to Jesus, I, I, I want, I want to, to step in a relationship with you. I don't want to leave with any questions as to whether or not I've made this choice. And so is there anyone right now who would say, I, I know that, I know I need to do this. Is there anyone who would, who would simply by standing say, I want to receive Jesus? I'm not going to belabor this. I'm not going to keep you here till one o'clock. But I would be remiss if I didn't at least provide you the opportunity to do so so that you can leave here knowing that you know that you've done it. Anyone who would say, yeah, God bless you. Is there anyone else who would say, I, I know that today's the day. God bless you. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to keep you here till one, but is there anyone else who would say, Today's the day. I want to receive this glorious exchange. Well, for those of you who are standing, would you, would you pray with me? In your own heart. You can just repeat this after me in your own heart. Jesus, I, I receive the forgiveness that you secured for me on the cross. 
I believe that by your blood I am forgiven and that my sins have been punished. And I believe that I will now enjoy friendship with you, Jesus, relationship with you for all eternity. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me. Make me new. I repent of my old way of living. I turn from my sin. And I desire now to walk with Jesus for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, why don't, why don't we all stand now? Well, we're, we're going to close by singing one last song here, but as we sing, the, the way that we close our services here is we just create some space for some of you to, to respond. And we respond by receiving prayer. And so there's a, a couple of groups that I, I would love to receive prayer, but if you want prayer for anything, we want to pray for you. So please stick around let us pray. There's a couple groups in particular I, I feel like God has kind of put his finger on. And so if you're on our, our prayer team now, would you head to either side of the stage? We'd love to have some people praying. And, and the first group are, are those who, who would say, I, I, feel like, I feel like God gave me a check engine light today. Or perhaps some of us would say, no, I, I feel like this check engine light has been on for a few miles and I, I've just been kind of pushing it out of sight, out of mind. And if, if the Lord revealed something to you today, or if the Lord spoke about something that he's been talking about to you for a while, I would love for you to receive prayer. To kind of step out of isolation and come to a brother or sister and ask for them to give you strength, ask for them to give you the grace to, to surrender whatever you're walking through. And so if, if that's you, if you said, I, maybe I got a couple check engine lights. Do you receive some prayer today? And then secondly, you know, I, I started the, the sermon by saying that, you know, one of the gifts that we're given by Jesus is this, this wonderful reality that everything that we do is done before his eyes. And maybe you're walking through a pretty hard time right now. Hard situation at work, hard situation in your family. You're walking through a, a pretty difficult health issue. And you know that you're walking before the very eyes of Jesus. And so some of us would say, God, I, I just, I, I want to walk through this well. I want to bless you, Jesus, through this difficult time because I know that you're watching. I'm not trying to prove myself to you. I'm not trying to earn anything. Everything that, that needed to be earned was earned by you on the cross. But I know that you're watching, and I, I want to honor you, Jesus, through this difficult time. And if that's you, we would love to pray for you as well. And so again, let, let's, let's sing this last worship song. And if you want prayer for anything, please begin to come forward. And we would